Thank you, Brother Rex. And um, Last Sunday, across the nation, many Christian churches observed um, what we call Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And, of course, I was not able to be with you last Sunday. And then we had the, we had the developments uh, this week that I know all of you have seen on the news about a law that was recently uh, passed on Tuesday of, uh, by the New York um, legislature uh, that permitted abortion to happen up to the time of birth and codified it into their law system and so that it's no longer a crime. And, of course, there's a lot of consequences to that. I was, I was actually, um, uh, it, it was just horrific to be honest with you, um, what they did with this law. It's impossible for me in a service like today to explore all the consequences of that, but I would encourage you to read and to study and to be well informed because I think this has a national, this, is, this has national implications. And um, am I loud enough? Do I need just a little more uh, volume? I, I've uh, preached a lot, taught a lot this week, traveled a lot, and my voice may not be as strong as normal. Thank you. I, uh, but uh, I, it was horrific, and it does have national implications. And I know that it, a major party, uh, political party, because, see, this is a spiritual issue. It's a social issue, but it's also a political issue. And I'm just not going to stick my head in the sand and ignore that reality. And... Uh, if the Democratic Party of the United States of America has its way, the, what happened in New York will happen in every state in our nation. Uh, it is, it, that's no secret. It's their platform. You can go on the Internet and you can read that that is a key component of their platform uh, is to uh, continue to uh, uh, provide uh, abortion um, for those that seek it. I'm going to share my heart with you, and I'm going to share from the Word with you today, and I'm going to give you some information as a church. I just feel, as the under-shepherd of this church, it's my responsibility to, to frame our position. And I know my voice and our crowd, our, in my influence is quite limited. I understand that, but this is what God's given me responsibility for as the pastorate at First Baptist Tanner. And so I want to fulfill that responsibility and then I trust pastors across the nation would do the same in their church. I also want to say at the very beginning of this message that God's put on my heart to share with you today that uh, if you have experienced an abortion, if you've had an abortion, if you're a lady here that's had an abortion, or someone listening to this message um, in social media, or if you're the parent or the grandparent of someone or a friend of someone, uh, many of you perhaps have been touched in some way by this. Maybe you're the paternal participant in an abortion. Um, I, I just want to say to you that I'm going to speak the truth this morning, but I hope that you'll hear my heart and that God will enable me to speak the truth in love. And I hope that you'll understand that God is a God of grace. God is a God of forgiveness. There's nothing you could ever do that would make God love you any less. 
just like there's nothing we could ever do that would make him love us anymore. He loves us with a perfect love. So we come to God with our sins. And in the eyes of God, our righteousness is as filthy rags. And all of us are in need of forgiveness. We come to him in repentance when we acknowledge a sin. And the Bible says when we put our faith in Christ that he hides our sins as far as the east is from the west. And there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So it's not my intent this morning to add any additional guilt to your heart and to your life. Because my guess is you've already suffered a great deal of that. So let me acknowledge that and say to you that you can be a great champion and a great warrior for the right to life. The title of my message this morning is Every Child Deserves a Birthday. And this has really broken my heart because the attitude of celebration after this law was passed is just foreign to who we are as America, as a civilized nation. I almost view the attitude that was demonstrated in New York as something that you would read about that ISIS would do. Right after this vote was taken, and I know some of you were not aware I was going to teach on this subject. I really wasn't aware. I had planned something else for this morning. But God laid this on my heart. I put it on our Facebook page yesterday so some of you were aware. But this is what God's laid on my heart to share this morning. Now, if you're a guest with us, I normally teach God's word exegetically, expositionally, and sometimes even topically. But today is a little different, and so I just wanted you to be aware of that. This is what I saw after that law was passed. Dustin, I just a seven-second video, but this was the reaction to the Democrats that passed this law in New York legislature. Can we play that? Can we play that? Our video feed was difficult to obtain. But there's another video that's about a minute minute and a half or so that I want to share with you that every child deserves a birthday and uh, Dustin let's share that video and then we're going to look at God's word together after the 18th day I was created I had a heart during the second month my arms legs and organs started to grow at the ninth week I learned how to suck on my thumb and I could start to smell all the yummy foods I also discovered that I could make silly faces. At the fourth month, I could start to hear sounds and see light. But trust me, it was still dark in there. During the fifth month, I learned how to cry. During the 21st and 24th weeks, I started practicing breathing for my big arrival. I also started to recognize my mommy and daddy's voice during this time. At month seven, all my senses were developed. I started to hear my mommy's favorite music. And I found out my mom's favorite food was pickles. Ooh! 
During month eight, I doubled my size. It was starting to get really tight. At month nine, I was ready to come out and see my mommy and daddy. Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs, the sixth chapter. And look, if you will, in verse 16. These six things does the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Verse 17. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devised wicked imaginations, feet that be swift as running to mischief a false witness that speaks lies, and he that sows discord among the brethren. The Bible says that God hates hands that shed innocent blood. Look, if you will, in Psalms 106. And verse 37 and following. Yea, they sacrifice their sons and their daughters unto demons. They shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and of their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. Thus were the, they defiled with their own works and went a-whoring with their own inventions. Therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against his people insomuch that he abhorred his own inheritance. It, it, the wrath of the Lord was kindled because they were killing children. And then I want you to look in Psalm 139. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. And that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in a continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. That verse teaches us that God knows us even in our mother's womb. It is a description of a baby, graphically yet poetically written. It uses the personal pronoun, my, I, even though it's referencing an unborn child. 
President Ronald Reagan issued a presidential proclamation in January 16, 1984, designating Sunday, January the 22nd, 1984, as National Sanctity of Human Life Day, noting that it was the 11th anniversary of Roe v. Wade in which the Supreme Court issued a ruling that guaranteed women access to abortion. President Reagan was a strong pro-life advocate who said that in Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court struck down our laws protecting the lives of unborn children. So he issued the proclamation annually thereafter designating Sanctity of Human Life Day to be the third Sunday in January, which represents the closest Sunday to the original January 22nd date of the Roe v. Wade decision. His successor, Republican President George Bush, continued the annual proclamation throughout his presidency. George Bush's successor, the Republican uh, President Bill Clinton, uh, pardon me, the Democratic President Bill Clinton discontinued the practice throughout his eight years of office. But Bush's son and Clinton's successor, Republican George Bush, resumed the proclamation and did so every year of his presidency. However, Democratic President Barack Obama made no reference to the sanctity of human life. And then President, Republican President Donald Trump reinstated that proclamation. In fact, this is what he said. Folks, I want to know, I want you to know that I get it. I get it. President Trump has issues. There's personal things about every president that I don't like. There's personal attributes that every president has that I wish were different. I tell you this, I look in the Bible and I see where God used sanctified holy kings and he used unsanctified and unholy kings to accomplish his will and his purpose. So I'm not being pro or con. Or I'm just telling you what it is and it is what it is. And whatever faults you may think our current president has, he got this right. And this is what he said. Today, we focus our attention on the love and protection each person, born and unborn, deserves, regardless of, their, of a disability, of gender, of appearance, of ethnicity, much of the greatest suffering in our nation's history, and indeed our planet's history, has been the result of disgracefully misguided attempts to dehumanize whole classes of people based on these immutable characteristics. We cannot let this shameful history repeat itself in new forms. And we must be particular vigilant to safeguard the most vulnerable lives among us. This is why we observe national sanctity of human life. To affirm the truth that all life is sacred. That every person has inherent dignity and worth and that no class of people should ever be discarded as non-human. Today in America, nearly 4,000 babies will be murdered. They will not have the benefit of a trial. They will not have the benefit of a defense attorney. They will be killed in a cruel and inhumane way. An unborn baby's heart begins to beat when it's three weeks old after fertilization. 
In four weeks, it be, that baby begins to develop arm and legs. In three weeks, the, the brain begins to develop. In five weeks, brain waves can be detected. In 10 weeks, they have fingerprints. In 16 weeks, you can tell if it's a boy or a girl. In 30 weeks, the child is sensitive to touch and can feel pain. In 14 weeks after fertilization, you can see facial expressions and even smiles. Abortion is the second most common surgical procedure in America, circumcision being the first. 50% of pregnancies are unintended and 50% of those pregnancies are aborted. So about one out of four, almost one out of three pregnancies end in abortion. Over 75% of women having abortions are unmarried. Alan Guttmacher, uh, the Alan Guttmacher Institute of Planned Parenthood Research Arm that did a survey as to why women have abortions, why they put to death the living child inside their womb. And this is what their own research arm said. In surveying 1,900 women, they found that over 95%, now these were women that, were, that had abortions, 95% were performed for societal reasons, or that is for birth control. About three-fourths of the women surveyed said that having a baby would interfere with work, school, or other responsibilities. About two-thirds said they could not afford a child, and half said they did not want to be a single parent or have relationship problems. About one to three percent of abortions, or pardon me, less than three percent of abortions are the result of incest or rape. It is, to me, insane that if you were to find the egg of an American bald eagle and you were to crush that egg, you could be fined $5,000 for harming the egg of a bald eagle. I don't think you ought to harm eggs of bald eagles. As a matter of fact, down on the Gulf Coast, you can be fined thousands of dollars for disturbing the nest and the eggs of turtles. You know why? Because they say that there's a little eagle in that egg and there are little turtles in those turtle eggs. They say that there's life in those eggs. But when it comes to a human life, before birth, they deny and ignore that there's life. January the 22nd, 1973, a day that will live in infamy and shame, nine men dressed in black issued a decree that it is now legal to kill unborn babies in America. These are the requirements, that the baby still lives inside the mother, that the mother wants the baby put to death, and that she can find a doctor willing to do it. And now it's legal, not only in New York, but in other states, to take the life of that child right up until the day of delivery. 
The Supreme Court said in its decision that a state is forbidden to prescribe, that is to forbid abortion any time prior to birth if in the opinion of one licensed physician an abortion is necessary to preserve the life and health of the mother. Hillary Clinton appeared with Governor Cuomo in New York two days prior to this vote, highly, highly promoting this law, very much in favor of it, campaigning for its passage. And she kept referring to women health care. This is all about women health care. I didn't know women were having a problem having health care, but, but this, this was this kind of issue. This was that issue. And she also made reference that the law was to protect the health of a mother. There is a great deception happening in America today. I have discovered, and I've done a lot of research in this, that sometimes we use the same words, but we use different dictionaries. What they mean and what the average American understands is totally different. It is deceptive. Few would argue about a mother's life. Yes, a mother's life should be preserved, if at all possible when that life is in danger, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But whenever this law and the Supreme Court refer to the health of the mother, because that makes it sound a little more palatable in a civilized society. Let's kill our children for, because it, it could enhance the health of the mother. Don't be deceived by that. Listen to me. The Supreme Court's own definition to what they mean by the health of a mother is this. The medical judgment may be exercised in the light of all factors. Physical, emotional, psychological, familial, that means for family reasons, and the woman's age relevant to the well-being of the patient all of these factors may relate to health. Now let me interpret that for you. A mother, the Supreme Court said, and this, new, this law in New York, may have her child put to death if she feels, and this is what they mean by talking about the health of the mother, if she feels that it would traumatize her to have the baby, if she feels it would be a hardship on her family, if she feels like the baby might make her nervous or cause her stress, all she has to do is find a doctor who will agree with her and that child can be put to death. That's what it's talking about. In other words, the Supreme Court in referring to this ruling said that it includes when a pregnancy would force upon a woman a stressful life, if it would produce psychological harm, if it would tax the mental and physical health by providing child care for their children when it would bring the distress associated with an unwanted child, if the birth would bring a child into a family already psychological or otherwise unable to care for it, 
there can be an abortion and if it would bring continuing difficulties and the stigma of unwed motherhood, there can be an abortion. In other words, whenever they say the health of a child, what they're really, uh, the health of the mother, the, what they're really saying is for any reason. People who have their children put to death because it may cause them stress cause me stress. And they talk about the women's health care. Do they not realize that about half of these children they're putting to sleep are, are potential women? They're putting to death? That, that those, there, there's, there's little girls inside the mother's womb as well as little boys. And don't get the idea that these are just little blobs of protoplasm, which they refer to as pregnancy tissue. One in three pregnancies in New York alone have ended in abortion. There, there are some who try to make us think, well, it's not a child, it's just a fetus, they call it. And, and, and it's, just, uh, it's just a blob of, of tissue or protoplasm. It's, they, say it, this is, they say it's not human life. And, 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 and friend, I just want to ask, if it's not human life inside the womb of a mother, what kind of life is it? Because it is. When the oval and the sperm unite in the womb, that is human life from the moment of conception. It is a shame that in America, the most unsafe place for a child, the most dangerous place for a child, is in its mother's womb. They say, well, it's her own body. No, it's a brand new body. Psalm 139 and verse 13 and 14 said this, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, that my soul knoweth right well. It is a new life created and formed by God. Birth and life are acts of God, and the Bible does not distinguish between prenatal and and postnatal life. Let me show you a couple of Bible verses real quick. <coughs> Look, if you will, in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. God said this about Jeremiah. Even before you were born, I had ordained you because you were a living human being. Look in the Gospel of Luke. There's two passages in Luke that will give you some insight. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 39, the Bible says... And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into the city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe, now underscore that word babe, the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now just think about that. The babe. This is talking about 
an infant inside the mother's womb. Go to Luke chapter 18. And look, if you will, in verse 15. And they brought unto him also infants that he would touch them but when his disciples saw it they rebuked him and verse 16 goes on to say and Jesus said allow little children to come unto me and forbid them not thank you Judy for of such is the kingdom of God allow children to come unto me but now here's what I want you to see church do you remember the passage I just read to you in Luke 1 that talked about the babe in the womb That's what we would call fetus, right? Babe in the womb. In this passage in Luke, it says they brought infants to him. Now that means babies that have already been born, right? Because it says he touched them. So it's clear that in Luke chapter 18, it's talking about babies that Jesus touched. And in Luke chapter 1, it's talking about an infant in the womb. Now, I know that you, you, I know that all we have is the English Bible, but in the Greek, in the Koine Greek in which our New Testament was written, it is used, the same exact word is used for the babe in Luke 1, brephos, and for the infants in Luke 18, it uses the exact same word. The Bible makes no distinction between after birth life and before birth life. Dr. Bernard Nathanson, an obstetrician and gynecologist, he was once the assistant professor at Cornell University Medical School. Now, I want you to listen to this. I did some research on this man, and it's phenomenal. He was at one time the director of the first and largest abortion clinic in the world. Imagine that. After his clinic had performed 60,000 abortions in only 18 months, he had a change of heart. He resigned his position, and this is what he said. I am deeply troubled by my own increasing certainty that I had in fact presided over 60,000 deaths. The doctors and nurses would tell him of their nightmares and the severe depression that they were experiencing and the personality changes that were developing in the clinic staff because they knew in their deepest conscience that they were putting to death innocent lives. This man came on, went on to be, Dr. Nathanson, I did some research on him. He went on to be a great advocate trying to reverse Roe versus Wade. And he said one of the things that really changed his heart on this, and he was not even a Christian at the time. He was not even a believer. But he, he said one of the things is he said he saw an uh, ultrasound of an actual child being put to death in a mother's womb and he saw the pain that it experienced. Abortion is wrong because it transgresses one of the deepest laws of the Bible. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 
And every mother and doctor who would participate in abortion should ask themselves this question. Would you like this to be done? Would you like to be dismembered for your limbs, your arms and legs to be sawed off? For, for a container where you could, to be in a container where you could not escape and have someone pour a corrosive liquid over your body that would be forced into your stomach and leave you to convulse for hours until you die. In the horrible, I can't even describe from this pulpit the methods that are used to torture, bring to death, and kill these little babies. But I can't be silent any longer. Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Abortion is contrary to the deepest human instinct to preserve your own. And God has put into the heart of every human that instinct to protect your own. Now, I realize that there are some that get so far out in sin, they disregard that instinct, but it's there. They have to step over their own conscience. Most of us in this room would gladly, gladly die in, if, it, if, if it were a choice between us or our child. Who, which one of us would not give our life for our child? It is in our heart. The Bible says ultimately God in Romans 1, and we won't take time to read it, turned them over to a reprobate mind. Because abortion is primarily rooted in selfishness. And those who argue for pro-choice will try to convince you that, that abortion is for the overburdened and the poor. Well, let me tell you, 76% of women having abortion are unmarried. Women that have practiced sexual immorality. 53% have no other children. Over one-third of the women who have had abortions have had more than one abortion, and many of them have had more than four. It's just birth control. Some are professional women who do not want their profession interrupted or inconvenienced. And I'm telling you, most of the abortion in America is rooted in unmitigated selfishness and greed because it is a multi-million dollar business. Pardon me. It is a multi-billion dollar business. And the arguments for abortion is, well, we're not sure when life begins. Well, we, I've already showed you where God, God, it's no question in God's mind where life begins. But if you're not sure, if you can't accept God's word and you're just not certain when life begins, let me ask you this. Don't you think it would just be appropriate to be a little careful if you're not sure when life begins? I'm a hunter. I'm an outdoors person. I enjoy hunting. If I'm out hunting and I see movement in a bush or behind a bush, that movement, if I see the limbs shaking, I can't see what it is, but I can see the bush moving. That could be a deer. Or it could be another hunter. I think I'll just shoot and find out. Now, don't you think that would be irresponsible? Certainly it would. 
if, if you're not sure when life begins, don't you think the benefit of the doubt ought to go to the person? It just makes sense. And they say that sometimes it's necessary to preserve the life of the mother. Sometimes people are like, well, don't you believe it might be necessary to preserve the life of the mother? Well, yes, but listen, regrettably, that may be allowed because the mother was there first and maybe by some extreme application of self-defense, that may be so. But I like the way Dr. Jerome Lejeune who was a world-famous geneticist and pediatrician, and I did some research on him as well. I like the way he put it. He said, I would do all that I could do to preserve the life of the mother, and if in the process the child dies, then that is regretful, but I would never intentionally attack and kill the unborn child. Do you see the difference? His purpose and intention would not be to kill the child, but to preserve the life of the mother. But with today's medical care and technology and everything, such cases are so very, very rare. And then people say, well, what about rape and incest? You know, it, listen, it is a tragedy. And, and my heart would certainly weep and break over someone who conceives because of rape or incest. But we're not God. And God is the author and the finisher of life. And by the way, Norma McCorvey, who represented Jane Roe in Roe vs. Wade, confessed 10 years later that she really wasn't raped. But if you think it's all right to abort a baby just because it was conceived in that manner, why don't you ask some people who were born? I mean, there's still a baby there. Why don't you ask Ethel Waters... Some of you remember watching Billy Graham's crusades and the black lady, the African-American lady, Ethel Waters, she would sing, his eye is on the sparrow. He watches over, and I know he's watching me. She blessed me every time she sang. Didn't she bless you if you, got, if you were able to hear? If not, go Google. It's just a wonderful, sweet, radiant testimony of the love of the Lord Jesus. Did you know that Ethel Waters was born out of a pregnancy due to rape, but her mother carried her and delivered her, and she blessed millions and millions of people around the world. And I suppose one of the most tragic things is when there's conception as a result of incest. People say, well, what about rape and incest? Did you know that Ruth in the Bible was born as a result of an incestuous relationship in her family background. She was a Moabite. She was from the family of Moab that began with an incestuous relationship. But did you know that this lady, Ruth, who was conceived as a part of her lineage through an incestuous relationship, was married to a man named Boaz, they had a son whose name was Obed. They had a son whose name was Jesse. He had a son whose name was David. And David was the great, 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 great grandfather of the Lord Jesus Christ. She was in the lineage of Jesus. These are difficult situations, but I would rather just let God 
be God because we're not as wise. We can't see what God sees. And there are so many families that would love to adopt these children. So many couples. I have adopted children in my family. My, uh, there's only three of us. Me, my brother, and my sister. I'm the only, I'm the only child of, of, of our parents that had a biological grandchild for them. All the others are adopted. The Minneapolis St. Paul did a ten, uh, Minneapolis St. Paul Hospital did a ten-year study, and out of 3,500 cases, not one pregnancy occurred as a result of rape. But yet, that is the argument that the pro-choice crowd gives to us to make it more palatable, to keep this billion-dollar industry going, to keep it the law of our land, to keep it approved. They use these extreme situations that seldom happen in less than 3% of all abortions. But yet, that's what they highlight. A professor at UCLA Medical School asked his students this question. He said to them, here is a family history. The father has syphilis. The mother has TB. They already have four children. The first one is blind. The second one has died. The third one is deaf. And the fourth one has TB. Now the mother is pregnant again. The parents are willing to have an abortion. What class... Class, what do you think the parents should do? And overwhelmingly, the class voted that the parents should have that child aborted because of the family history. Congratulations, said the professor. You've just voted to have Beethoven murdered because that was his family history. What about deformity in today's world with ultrasounds and technology and blood tests and everything? You know, more often than not, God has a way of just biologically taking care of those children. And quite often, he just takes them on to heaven. We all have family members who have experienced miscarriages. Sometimes that does not happen, though. But I say that's treading on dangerous ground. Who's going to decide what is a handicap and what's not? Who's perfect and who's imperfect? Are we talking about a physical deformity or a mental deformity? You know, I, I've known some very precious people who have had handicaps from birth. Can you imagine... One of those ladies that were clapping and cheering, yes, we've done it. We've, we, we've made abortion to the moment of delivery, the law of the land, how insane that was in New York. Can you imagine if one of those ladies were pregnant and they had an ultrasound done and they saw a baby 
that resembled the physical handicaps of clay dye that was with us just a few weeks ago. You know what they would have done. Many of them, I can't speak for all of them, but I can tell you many of them would have had him put to death. But thank God his mother didn't. He was a blessing to us, right? This man with no arms, no legs, preaching the gospel, loving Jesus. How many of us have known Down syndrome children or others that were the sweetest human beings? Blessing to their family and to those that know them. Let God be God. Some say, well, if abortion is outlawed, it will be unfair to the poor because the rich will go off and they'll have an abortion somewhere, but the poor, they'll have to go some underground back room. They tell you all these gruesome stories. So if abortion is outlawed, it would discriminate. Well, let me, let me just say, it probably is safer and easier for rich people to break laws. But does that mean we shouldn't have any laws? Does that mean that the rich will have, should have, if the rich have greater access to cocaine and heroin, does that mean that the government should buy heroin and cocaine for people that can't afford it? Because folks, our taxpayer dollars are paying for a lot of this. It's ridiculous logic. Sometimes people say, well, what about the population explosion? Do you know in America we are at zero population growth? To stay even, we need at least two-point rate of births per family, and presently it is now under 1.8. Well, I, I've got to conclude, and thank you for, I knew this, I probably couldn't cover this in just a 30-minute message, but, I'm, but let me just say in conclusion, what do we need to do? Well, we need to weep. We need to get broken. We need to have compassion. I, cannot, I, I, I do not know how to preach compassion into the hearts of people. But I tell you, I've been in the hospital with a lot of you, or I've seen you shortly after you got home or when you came to church with those newborn infants. And I say you look into the heart and the face of those little children. And we get concerned. And we need to speak out. Isaiah 58.1 says, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their sin." We need to pass laws and elect people that would do what they can to defund Planned Parenthood. I don't even know why they call it Planned Parenthood. It all be unplanned parenthood because that's what they address. We need to get informed and we need to quit being swayed by deceptive, liberal, humanistic, progressive, high-sounding arguments that don't hold water
We, as American citizens, we need to work toward a constitutional amendment to reverse Roe versus Wade. We need to find out where elected officials stand on these issues. And I, and I, I just want to say this. I, talk, I, I never talk politics from this pulpit. I don't talk Alabama-Auburn football and I don't talk politics. But as I said, this is not only a social issue. It really is, folks, a political issue. And I know that there's a difference between some that run for national positions and people that run for local positions. But you need to find out where your elected officials stand. When I was a little boy, learning about my daddy tried to teach me a little bit about politics I'll never forget he used to say son we don't vote for the party we vote for the man my daddy's dead now and there's no human on earth that I had greater respect for but I'd say daddy that's not true anymore you can't vote for the man or the lady there's so much pressure put on individuals from their party, committee appointments, funding for their district. The party often controls the man. We have sent men and women that were good people with what we thought were good convictions. And then when they get up there to Washington, the party puts so much influence on them that they vote totally contrary to what we thought they would. You can't vote for the person anymore. You have to vote for the party on national elections. Now, local is different. I'm just telling you like I said. So if you like the platform of the Democratic Party, you vote for an individual that runs as a Democrat. If you like the platform of a Republican Party, you vote for an individual that runs for a Republican. But make no mistake, they're going to go along with their party. That's why we have split votes. That's why no Democrat voted for Judge Kavanaugh to be a Supreme Court Justice. Listen. Donald Trump and all these congressmen and all these senators and Barack Obama and everybody else, they're going to come and go. But those Supreme Court appointments, they're going, we're going to live with them. You need to think and have wisdom. And we need to teach sexual morality, not sexual education. And I'll tell you something else we need to do, church. We need to be compassionate toward the unwed mother. Often it's the Christian community that drives those young ladies to abortion because we add to their guilt so unknowingly or in some cases intentionally. But you can't unscramble eggs. And when that happens, we need to love those girls we need to pray for them. We need to figure out ways we can help them. We need to let them know there's some other options. There's some other choices. 
We don't need to add to their guilt and shame. They probably already have enough of that. Don't let God's people do that. And we need to support places that provide for unwed mothers. And we need to pray for revival. And we need to pray that God would give us space and time to repent before his judgment falls. God put this in my heart. I realize that some things I said probably made some folks mad or upset. But I'm telling you, I'm, pre I'm preaching this from a pure heart that I want to see our country blessed by God. I want to say, God bless America. And I know that God cannot condone this kind of sin. And I just pray that he will give us space and time to repent. Would you bow your heads? I thank you for your patience this morning and just letting this pastor share a burden on his heart. You may have come this morning and you may not be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know I've not preached an evangelistic message. But you know what? I don't think you're here by accident. I believe God drew you here. And it could be while I've been preaching this message, God's been preaching another message to your heart. And you recognize that you have a need for forgiveness, for grace. A time in your life to stand for Jesus. Stand for what's holy, what's right. You know, somebody said, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Maybe today you're wanting to stand for Jesus. If you'd like to receive him as your Savior and Lord in the moment when we have our invitation, I want to encourage you to come. We'll have someone help you with that decision, pray with you. Maybe you're already a believer and you've not yet followed him in believer's baptism. Or your church membership is somewhere else and God... Is leading you to unite with our church or just to kneel here at the altar and pray for someone or for yourself God may have laid on your heart or however God may speak if you feel led to come we'll pray with you and encourage you Father we commit this invitation to your hands and ask you to bless it in Jesus name Amen let's stand together as we sing
seated. Thank you for your patience this morning. And just pray for our country, church. Just pray. You know, I, 